Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, there's a, an awesomeness about this place today. There's a Spirit of God in this place. This is a gathering that's never been brought together just like this ever before. We'll never be assembled just like this ever again. And so, Father, on your divine calendar, this is a day all by itself. And there are things that you would tell us today that we will hear no other day quite this way. So, Father, open our minds, open our hearts, that we might receive all that you have for us through this precious Word of God that you've given, you've guarded, you've preserved, you've brought it into our own language. And now, Father, may the language of the Spirit just translate it into spiritual truths for each of us. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for the glory of his church. Amen. We're almost to the book of what? The end. Yes, yes, the book of and we're almost to the end of it. Only a couple of verses left and today we're only going to look at one. You know, i got to stretch it down as long as I can. One verse, but this morning, in that one verse, we're going to see James discussing something, mentioning something that has really stymied believers over all the years. It's a problem that has hounded the church from the very first century of its existence. Now, I know you have my whole message in front of you in the bulletin. Every point, everything filled out, no block. So why don't you just tuck that in the back of your Bible and say, boy, when I go home, I got it all written down there already. But right now, just kind of watch it appear before you on the screen and as we discuss it together. You see, this thing, this problem, it still hounds the church today. It's a knee-jerk reaction that arises from the old sin nature that the Apostle Paul pointed out to us just a couple weeks ago. It's a practice that creates division in churches and that thwarts the development of maturity in believers. And yet it happens so commonly and it arises within us so naturally that we simply engage in it without even questioning it. Sometimes we think that it, this thing we're going to talk about today that James is going to zero in on, sometimes we think that it shows us to be insightful and discerning. It shows us to be alert and aware of what's going on around us. But James warns us against it. His exact words form today's key scripture. And here it is, that one verse, James chapter 5, verse 9. He says this, don't grumble. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, in fact, is standing at the door. Simple verse. It's kind of like something you might have pulled down in Proverbs. Single statement. A command. There won't be any explanation, really, that James gives about it. What I just read is what we got. We're going to talk about it. But James said it as though saying it ought to do it. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's mentioning, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're a grumbler. In fact, you say, I never grumble. I don't even use that word. Well, let's define it a little bit. Grumble, here we have in front of us, to groan. None of us ever do that. To moan, to murmur, to communicate exasperation. And I put there, usually under one's breath. This is not an announcement from a soapbox. This is one of those things that we think nobody knows about but us. But boy, are we knowing this? Are we feeling this? So we ask, anybody here, don't raise your hand. Anybody here familiar with that practice? Have you ever found yourself grumbling about a fellow believer? (sighs) Lord, how much longer? (laughs) Have you ever sensed somebody grumbling about you? Now, keep in mind... Of course, it's pretty obvious from the verse we've read. Keep in mind that it's brothers and sisters in Christ that James is talking about. Now, I'm not saying he's saying it's okay to grumble about unbelievers. But he's zeroing in on believers grumbling about each other. It sets up a very particular kind of problem. See, these are all people we could be grumbling about for whom Christ has died. These are all people to whom the spirit, Numa, has been given. These are all people in whom our Heavenly Father takes great delight. James says, now those people especially do not be found grumbling against them. He would say to us, don't allow their behavior. Don't allow it to cause you to grumble against them. Don't allow grumbling to become your reaction to them and to influence your interactions with them. Now, what a topic for James to save almost to last. He's taken us through all kinds of things. This is lesson 22. He's taken us through all kinds of things that can derail us as Christians that can keep us from moving on toward maturity, because that's the goal here. On to perfection, on to that maturity in Christ that in the very first chapter, the very first few verses, James says, we're calling you to completion, to maturity. That's what it's all about. And all these things get in the way. Now, he's mentioned 21 of them so far. This is the 22nd one. And he saved it almost to be the last one. 
James doesn't go into any great detail. As though he were saying to us, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Don't do it. Well, that's where I got left this week when I was reading through and say, well, what's coming next? Well, okay, we know what he's talking about. Don't do it. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Even when I gave Linda this outline that I came up with that she faithfully takes care of every Friday if I'm early or Saturday so that we have it all before us on Sunday, you know, even then it was like, uh, I think this might be a five-minute message. And the topic is such that there are any number of us who would say, I hope he sticks to five minutes. I don't know how much of this I want to hear, you might say, under your breath. (laughs) Obviously, grumbling against a fellow believer is a serious matter. It matters to God, and it needs to matter to us. It's not harmless. Sometimes we Christians get so good at it, we do it for fun. We get other people to laugh at the person where, it doesn't sound like we're really grumbling. It sounds like we're finding uh, the uh, humor in in what somebody says or does or how they do it or say it, and we kind of share it, and it almost becomes an inside joke. And James says, that would probably come under the heading of what I'm talking about. Because if the person hears you do that, they don't feel better about themselves and they don't feel better about you when they get done. You see, it's not a harmless thing. It's not just an expression of frustration. James would say it's actually a sign of immaturity. Mature people in Christ don't do this. But immature people, both in Christ and out of Christ, do this as almost, I said, a knee-jerk reaction to a variety of situations in life. But it's something. It's something that can throw up a huge hurdle in our pathway toward maturity, our pathway to perfection. And maybe James felt that he has us all ready for this now. He's taken us through so much other stuff that this one will be, we'll say, of course, of course, wouldn't want to be involved in that. And we might see it for what it is without even needing to talk about it. He just lists it. But in case we're not quite at that point yet, and I don't know if I was quite at that point yet this week, I had to think about, well, what does this mean? Why is it so harmful? Why should it be avoided? What does doing it communicate? And so I believe the Spirit helped me come up with four what I called sobering realities. Now, I don't have verses for these. We just have life experience for these. James set the discussion and got the ball rolling. Let me share with, these, with you these four things. Four sobering realities concerning this matter of grumbling against our fellow believers. Whether they're fellow church members, whether they are fellow family members, or whether they are believers in other places that we have never met, but we've formed opinions about them anyway. Well, here's the first one. 
And keep in mind when I say I, or when I say we, I'm really talking for the grumbler. This is the way the grumbler thinks. This is what the grumbler would say. And so periodically we're going to hear his or her voice in here. But the first one is this grumbling. Grumbling shows disappointment. Disappointment. When we grumble, we are in one way or another playing the judge. And we are saying that someone, the one that we are targeting our grumble toward, just doesn't measure up. When will they ever get their act together, we mumble to ourselves. We note every inconsistency, every failure to perform. We find nothing in their life worth applauding, nothing worth commending. We can easily put their names into Romans 3.23, which says, for all, and we put their name right there, for Mark has sinned and falls short of the glorious standard of God. We can actually act like that verse was written just for them. Frequently, our quiet, under-our-breath grumbling turns into actual statements. It's hard to keep a good observation to yourself. And so we say it to somebody. Or our mutter gets a little louder, and that's when people say, what'd you say? Don't you hate it when you're muttering under your breath and someone actually hears you and says, what do you say? And now you either have to lie or you have to disappoint somebody. But eventually, people can hear these statements. They pick up on our disappointment in them. They realize this is somebody who who really feels, I do not measure up. And then they can easily say, I wonder if God feels that same way. I wonder if God feels that same way. And as a result, we make them feel inadequate. Our assessment of them can send them to the sideline in their Christian journey. Their limitations are not overcome. We're not offering to help. We're just analyzing what's there. So their limitations are not overcome Their limitations, in fact, become their Christian identity. And this is not good. This is not good. For people to just go through life, go even through their Christian life, feeling that in the eyes of some, and certainly some that they sort of value, to know that in their eyes, I just don't measure up. And I probably never will. And so what's the use of even trying to continue on? So grumbling can do that. It can show, it can express, it can pass along a sense of disappointment. Second thing, grumbling shows discontentment. That is us, the grumbler, being discontented with the one we're focused on. You see, it's easy to make ourselves the standard. We say, now, this is what a Christian's like. This is what we ought to be. 
Uh, we're the standard, and they, who are not like us, make us feel uncomfortable. They're just not like me. I cannot relate to them, we think. I feel uncomfortable around them for some reason. We here in this place are the norm. A whole church can feel this way. We here in this place are the norm. We are the standard. Our understandings are the correct and the proper ones. They need to get with the program and buy into what we're doing and how we understand things. They need to adjust or ab and abandon their strangeness or sometimes even a bit of weirdness if they expect to be accepted by us. And if they can't or won't, I would say good riddance to them. That's the way the grumbler is. They would certainly be better off somewhere else, and the sooner they figure that out, the better it will be for all of us. They just make us uncomfortable. They're not like us. They're not one of us. They don't agree with every single thing we've ever decided is truth. Now, I'll tell you, if, ever, if you've ever been in a situation like that, it's not difficult to pick, for someone to pick up on that nonverbal message, is it? We make them feel undesirable. Is there anything worse than that? Is there anything more contrary to the nature of God than that? What a tragic outcome for the victims of the grumbler in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a reason. There's a reason that there are millions more, million more American, millions of Americans sitting at home today. Many, many more millions of Americans who claim to be born again sitting at home today than are found in all the churches put together. These are the ones who really probably could say, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Now that too is some pretty serious stuff. For Jesus, number one objection, objective in the world today is the building of his bride his glorious church, the family of faith, the thing that's supposed to bring a little bit of heaven right down here to earth. The thing that we rejoice in whenever we experience it. We must not send the message to any professing believer that they are in any way at all undesirable to us if they are trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, if they have given their life to him, if they've received the forgiveness of God for their sins, if they are accompanied by the Holy Spirit as they go through life, then how could they ever, any of them, be viewed by us as undesirable for whatever reason? Too much this, too much that, not enough this, not enough that. See, for a believer to ever feel undesirable in the eyes of another believer is just a terrible thing. And yet there are many believers in our country today who must feel that way. 
because they choose not to associate themselves with other believers, even though they associate themselves with Jesus Christ. So like I said, there's, there's a lot of damage that comes from grumbling, and there's a lot of grumbling that goes on that the believers, aren't, we're not even aware we're doing it. We just think we're being, like I said, insightful or aware or noting things, making distinctions that are important. And we wind up making some believers feel inadequate, making other believers feel undesirable, and both of those are horrible things. Here's the third thing. Grumbling can show disillusionment. We or I decide they are actually unworthy. They are unusable. Maybe we tried something and then we just got disillusioned with them. You know, they're, they're worthless. They're no good at all. They can't amount to anything. Now, let me tell you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember, this was the very sin of rejection that the Apostle Paul fell prey to when he and Barnabas made arrangements for their second missionary journey together as found and recorded in Acts chapter 15. Paul, though, did more than just grumble, far more than just mutter his disapproval under his breath. Paul came right out and said, the young intern, John Mark, the young intern, who was in fact Barnabas' cousin that they had taken along on their first missionary journey and who had gone part way, and then halfway through the trip, he got on a ship and he went back home and Barnabas and Paul finished up the thing. Paul says, that guy is useless. We're getting a second trip together. We're going to go back and visit all the churches where we already were to encourage them. They'll want to see Barnabas and Paul all over again. Then we're going to go to some new towns and see if God really launches and raises up some new fellowships, new churches. And it's going to be just, you know, I know God is calling us to do this, but we're not taking that guy along. And Barnabas wanted to take him. Barnabas... We don't know what Barnabas said, but we can imagine I said, Paul, Paul, some time's gone by now. He's continuing to grow in the Lord. He's continuing to grow mature uh, physically and emotionally. And, and I think it would be great to take him along and see him just blossom. Just see him blossom. And Paul basically said, over my dead body, I've already made a judgment about him. He bailed out on us. He's a quitter. I don't want him. I don't think anybody tapped Paul on the shoulder and said, Paul, uh, think of the love of Christ. See, it's hard to preach to a preacher, right? Paul just established, and he was so rigid that Barnabas and he couldn't even go down the road together. Barnabas says, I've got to take him. Probably felt led of the Lord to do it, to keep him from feeling 
like he'd been found weighed in the balance and found wanting. So Barnabas took John Mark with him and they visited some of the churches they did before. Paul took another fine, fine Christian man, Silas, an elder in the church, and took him and they headed off on their own journey. But if Barnabas hadn't been there, what might have happened to that young fella? Because the Apostle Paul himself said he's useless. He's of no value. I'm not going to mess, mess around taking him with us, not one more minute. And yet Barnabas was a different sort. Barnabas was not a grumbler. Barnabas was not a fault finder. Barnabas was a a nurturer, an encourager. That's what his very name meant. And we see, due to the patient, nurturing ministry of Barnabas, Mark was not lost to the cause. Barnabas gave us the chance to break new ground, or excuse me, Barnabas gave up the chance to break new ground so that he might nurture this young man in the Lord. John Mark, by the way, went on to write the Gospel of Mark. John Mark went on to be a great, great friend and an understudy of the Apostle Peter. And many people believe that the Gospel of Mark is really Peter's words put into print as Peter shared everything and Mark wrote it down. The Gospel of Mark. Years later, years later, look to somebody and say, there might be hope for me yet. You don't know why I'm saying Just say that. There may be hope for me yet. In this story, it took a while, but there was hope for the Apostle Paul. Paul grew into a level of maturity that he did not have on that Acts chapter 15 event. For late in his life, Paul is now a prisoner in Rome in a dungeon, awaiting execution. The handwriting is on the wall. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, my end is near. I've run my course. I've kept the faith, blah, blah, blah. There's a crown of righteousness awaiting for me. Any minute I might be executed. And he said to Timothy, I've got nobody here with me except Luke. Can you come? Can you come? like my son in the faith, and just be here with me. And he said, can you bring Mark with you? Because he has proved himself useful in this ministry. Can you imagine that? Barnabas was probably dead by then. But I can imagine Barnabas saying, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. God's hand was upon that young man. I'm so glad we didn't write him off. And here's Paul now saying, after the years have gone by, that young man that wasn't thrown to the curb, that young man, now probably a middle-aged man, has become a very valuable servant of Jesus Christ. Grumblers don't anticipate turnarounds. Grumblers just see what is there, make their judgment, and discard people. Barnabas was used of the Lord to overcome the damage that Paul might have created. Now, before we go on to the fourth sobering reality, I want to point out a key problem, that this presence in our lives, in our church, wherever it might be found, 
what is the problem that grumbling against our fellow believers creates? Well, here it is. It's an even bigger problem than just the individual damage that grumbling can create. Because here's how we express the problem. All grumbling, and this is a shock to actually say this and see it and think it and agree with it, all grumbling is ultimately directed toward the Lord. It shows our disapproval of him and his workings. Thoughts like this might go through someone's mind. Why has the Lord allowed this person in my life? Why doesn't he straighten these people out? Why must I endure all of their inadequacies? It's messing with my game. The implication of those thoughts is this. If the Lord would do better, I could do better. Grumbling against the Lord. That's a pretty terrible grumble to express. And James was aware that that can run through somebody's mind. The Lord's the one who set this up, this mess up. If he handled things better, we would all do better. So James says this. He points out to us this fourth reality that I'd phrase this way. Grumbling opens the door to the one who will judge us. Here's what James says. The judge is standing at the door. That's the end of our key verse. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. That's different than saying we'll have to call the judge. The judge is already at the door. Now, we're familiar with the image in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in, and we will have fellowship together. That's a wonderful image. And you want to say, you don't want to keep him outside at all. Open the door. Open the door. This is a case where you'd like to see the Lord stay outside the door. The judge is waiting Clean up your act inside so he never has to open the door and come in in a spirit of judgment and correction. See, the judge is at the door. We who judge our fellow believers will ultimately be judged for that. It's a bad thing we're doing, a harmful thing. Now, James might have meant that the time of the Lord's return is near. You know, he's soon to come. He's at the door. Or James might have meant that whenever the Lord's people, whenever his church people act in these ways, Jesus is ready to step in and pass judgment upon them. Remember the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? He wrote directions to every one of those seven churches. They're all individual ones. And in every one of them, he addressed behaviors that needed to be addressed. 
The Lord watches over his churches. And James is pointing out to us that one of the things he watches for is this kind of behavior which could really harm believers and harm churches and harm testimonies and bring discredit to Jesus' own name. Jesus oversees the behaviors of his church. And certain behaviors require immediate intervention. I think James would say Christians grumbling against one another is one of those behaviors that gets the Lord's attention because he said, love one another as I've loved you. This is how the world's going to know you're really legit, that you really belong to me. Why, Why you just love one another, you watch out for each other, you support one another, you encourage one another, you would never throw one another to the curb. You would never discredit one another and talk nasty about what, you would just never do that because Jesus would never do that. And so James is saying whenever any of his people do that, he's right there. He's right there ready to intervene and says, this can't, this can't go on. Over the years, church history is long. Over the years, there have been churches that have just been shut down because of internal strife. Jesus to the church in one of the churches in Revelation said, if you, if you continue on, I will just walk in there and remove your candlestick. Your, your influence, your authority, your leadership will be gone just like that because you're a church. You're part of the body of Christ. My name is on you. And so there's certain things that just are so antithetical to my name and my nature that... Uh, We just can't let it go on. Maybe some of you over the years have been in churches that have just blown up and maybe closed their doors. And you say, how? You know, how did that happen? Well, one of the ways it happens is the people started looking at each other and evaluating each other and then dismissing each other, grumbling in this sense, sometimes quietly, but then it becomes open conflict and warfare, and, and it's not a church anymore at all. I can just say, it's a blessing for a pastor to say, I've been in a church, this church, for 28 years, and I preach this message in an academic way today. I have never seen any of this in our place. This room has never been filled with contention or strife or difficulty. You people do love each other. You've stood by one another. You've allowed people to get pretty dangerously mired up in things and you just hang in there with them. Some of you are hanging in with people right now. And you're, you're just praying that God lets that person just... Make it through. But you're not writing them off. You wouldn't even dream of that. Because that's not your heart. And see, that's not Jesus' heart. And so the, the thing is, 
we all still have a sin nature, and that means all of us are vulnerable to some of these feelings when we least expect them, and we've got to recognize them for what they are when they come and just squelch them. And say, I'm not going to look at my fellow believer that way. I'm not going to form those conclusions about them. I'm not going to just write them off. I'm, I'm going to realize, man, if they're really in a mess, my goodness, are they in need of help and love and prayer and support and encouragement, no matter what it might be. Because their sins are no more offensive to God than mine are. And Jesus provided they would all be forgiven. And as the scripture says, love will cover over a whole bunch of them. It's not like we forget, we don't see, we don't understand what people are doing, but it doesn't change our attitude towards them. We don't start talking about them and putting them down. We just say, boy, there is, there's a need here. Oh, God, intervene here. Give me grace, whatever my part might be. You see, and our final thought tries to sum things up by just saying this. We need to know that grumbling about our fellow believers is a sin. We need to know that. There's no wiggle room there. And grumbling shows our unwillingness to accept the life that the Spirit has walked us into. When we grumble, we're really grumbling at God. He could have made things different, but he didn't. His Holy Spirit walked us right into whatever situation we're in, and we can even say, how dare God? That's not the deal I made with God. Now see, a worshipful heart is surrendered to God and would say, look where the Holy Spirit has walked me. I wonder what God's plans are here. I wonder how I can show something of the genuine Christian life in this situation. But we're yielded, we're not grumbling and complaining and griping. And so we say here, learning to handle that urge to grumble, especially about our fellow believers, is indeed a sign of spiritual maturity. Because mature Christians don't grumble about their fellow believers. They love them. They encourage them. They're not blind to what's going on in their life, but they are seeking to bring the grace of God into it. And I thank every one of you that has made that a lifestyle. And for those of you who are just learning to do that, just trust the Spirit to encourage you more and more. And a tip-off is, anytime you find you're saying, oh, whoa, why did... Realize that's not a good Christian response. That's a fleshly response. It's a judging one. And, um, and do away with it. Make allowances. Just say to yourself, I can't imagine what situation they must be in. I can't imagine what the pressures might be that brought them to that place. But James is going to tell us in just a couple of weeks, you see somebody who's been brought into a troubled place, you go after them. You go after them. You don't write them off. They belong to you. You belong to them. That's going to be a great message for us to look at. It's almost the, the very last thing that James says. But here's what he says today. Let's resolve not to do this, not to even get close to it. As soon as a feeling like that stirs, just say, oh God, 
help me squelch that and renew my sense of love and commitment to these people around me. Heavenly Father, we know as you are our Father, you look over us as all of us as children. Some of us are older children, some of us are younger children, some of us learn these things and are sensitive to these things much quicker than others, and some of us have a hard time ever seeing the evaluations we make of others and almost the scorecard we draw up for them. Some of us have trouble ever seeing that as wrong. We just say we're being aware, alert, discerning. And then we check into our hearts and find not a heart of love and, and blessing, but a heart that's critical and maybe even condemning. And we realize that's, that's not the heart of Christ. So, Father, may the heart of Christ be what we're desiring to follow as your Holy Spirit enables us. Thank you for James. He must have seen a lot of this. And he warns strongly against it. Lord Jesus, we never want you to enter the door of this church for the purpose of judging us for being grumblers. We thank you. We thank you that you'll do so if you need to. But we just pray you will never need to. But that your spirit will mold us and shape us and keep us in that regard at least as being what you want. For this we ask, in your name and for the sake of your church. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.